friendship is a topic that the Bible has a lot to say about. The Bible says a friend loves at all times. The Bible says two are better than one. The Bible says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. At times like these, don't you think friendships are more important than ever? (laughs) Many, many people today feel isolated, lonely, forgotten. We all need friends, and we all need to be a friend. So I'm grateful that the topic of our Ships in Faith series today is friendship. And we're going to look at two great stories of friendship in the Bible. May we be encouraged to be better friends than we've ever been before. Human beings are social creatures. I I don't suppose that's a newsflash for you. (laughs) Uh, We do much better in community than we do alone. God created us in such a way that we need to connect with other people regularly so that we can love and support and encourage one another because most people just don't do well in isolation. You know, talked a few weeks ago about that alone series on TV. You know, you put somebody out there alone somewhere against the elements, against all the dangers of this world, and most of them only last a few days. Person may even become physically sick and die when they have no one to share life with. And so friends are crucial to our good health, to physical, mental, and emotional good health. But the friends we have need to be chosen carefully, don't they? Some friends can help us draw closer to God, and some friends lead us astray. Some friends can get us into trouble, and some others can help us become the person that God wants us to be. So which kind of friends do you have? Which kind of friend are you or me? Now, if you're watching online this morning, I'd like to get a response from you today, if I may. If you look down on your screen, there's a little place that says raise your hand. You just click on that. You can answer questions if you agree or if you want to say, yeah, I heard you on that one. So I want to ask yourself today, ask you, do you consider yourself a good friend? Raise your hand if you do. And everyone here that's in person in the service as well, uh, ask yourself the question, are you a good friend? Okay. Some of you may not... You thought, maybe I should raise my hand, maybe I shouldn't. Would you like to be a better friend than you are? There's a question for all of us. So we're going to look at two great friendship stories in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. One of the greatest friendships the Bible talks about is the friendship between David and Jonathan. And so we're going to look to see what what made their friendship so good. Why did did this friendship, uh, you know, be such that God would want to show it to us, you know? Can we learn something about our own friendships from it? And then we're also going to look at another great story, a friendship that surfaced suddenly during Jesus' earthly ministry, and we should all hope to be as good a friend as the guys this story is found, uh, told about in Luke chapter 5. So uh, we need to recognize that we all need friends. We need good friends. And as I said already, hum- human, human beings are, are social creatures. We don't do very well when we are truly alone. Ecclesiastes talks about this. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one 
to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So as you add this relationship and maybe even a third relationship into that, great strength can be found there. We all need friends, good friends. A person totally in, alone in the world may indeed survive that experience. You know, they, they survive just because they just have grit, you know, or what else are they going to do? They're just going to keep on going. But they're going to miss out on so much of the good that can be found in the life that God has given us because God created us to be connected to others. Alone, we are far less productive in our work, Ecclesiastes says. Alone, we are much more vulnerable to danger or to attacks from the outside. We are much better off when we are vitally connected to at least one or two other people on a daily basis if possible. In a word, we all need a good friend. A lot of people today, however, living in loneliness and isolation. COVID-19 pandemic has threatened our lives, and we've had to take drastic measures to keep ourselves safe and healthy. So we wear masks, we wash our hands frequently, we keep our distance, and this has become our way of life. It seems to be working, but I want you to think about the huge downside, the huge emotional downside to these measures. Social distancing is a good safety precaution, but it is not a good thing for most of us, emotionally or psychologically. We are social creatures. We need interaction, community, and friendships with other people just to survive, let alone thrive. You know, I, I really don't like it when I go into a store with a mask on. Everybody else has a mask on, and everybody's even avoiding eye contact. You see that? You know, just like now we're all totally separated because we have this mask on. No, we're not. We can still say hi to each other. We can still be friendly to one another. So why don't we do that? Why do we think that we, now we just can't have any contact with anybody? That's not the threat. And we are missing out a great thing that God has created for us. You know, this is a, a reason why social media has become so popular to many people during this pandemic. You know, you're, you, you, can't, you can't go see your friends. You can't go to their house. They can't come to your house. We can't physically visit other people, but we have been able to go to Facebook or to Twitter or to Instagram. And did you know that now three out of four Americans are using social media regularly? Three out of four. You may not be one of them, but you need to understand that the other three out of four people are doing that. And it's because there's this tremendous longing for connection. There's a tremendous longing for communication and for fellowship. And if we can't get it in person, then we're going to find it where we can, which is on the internet. Loneliness and isolation are at higher levels than normal during this pandemic. But the truth is that long before this pandemic, many Americans were already living in a state of semi-isolation. Some months before the pandemic started, writer Max Licato rated us as a society. This is, this is what he said. He said, call us a fast society, an efficient society, but don't call us a personal society. Our society is set up for isolation. We wear earbuds when we exercise. We communicate via email and text messages. We enter and exit our house with gates and garage door openers. Our mantra, I leave you alone, you leave me alone. And I think he's pretty accurate. So let's think about the crucial value 
the crucial importance of friendships today. One of the most thorough research projects ever conducted on friendships was called the Alameda County Study. It was headed by a Harvard social scientist and it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over a nine-year period. It's a pretty big study. Researchers found out that the most isolated people among us were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating, alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated from other people. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with your good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Uh, that, that's what I took away from it, at least. <laughs> Harvard researcher Robert Putnam noted that if you previously belonged to no groups but decided to join one, you would cut your risk of dying in half over the next year. Just connect to somebody. Become friends with somebody. There's another study on friendship. 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. The study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off the illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less of the virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. I wish I hadn't included that part. John Ortberg was writing about this, and he says, now, I'm not making this stuff up. They produce less mu mucus if you're socially connected. This means it is literally true, he said. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> Raise your hand, you people online, if you think that is true. Are unfriendly people snottier than, un than friendly people? So we see the friendships are crucially important to our well-being and to our health. Now, let's go into these first two great, uh, the two great stories of friendship. It's the story of David and Jonathan, as I said. Jonathan, if you don't know, was King Saul's firstborn, King Saul, the first of Israel. And uh, he was in line to become the next king of Israel. And the reason was that the prophet Samuel uh, had, uh, uh, was already prophesying that David was going to become the next king. And Jonathan's standing there waiting, you know, it's supposed to be mine. But David's been anointed instead. But that was done privately. Maybe Jonathan didn't even know. Maybe Saul definitely didn't know. So if anyone had a reason maybe to hold a grudge against David, it would have been Jonathan. And yet we see Jonathan loving and, and supporting and even sacrificing many things for his friend David. We read about their great friendship in 1 Samuel. It's in chapters 18 through 23. So, of course, we're not going to read all of those chapters, but you can do that on your own. You can see this beautiful friendship between these two men. Jonathan and David were drawn to each other by their age, by their common interests, by their shared loyalties, obviously. It was the kind of relationship that any of us might kind of go into with somebody. But it became this remarkable friendship that God holds up as a model for all of us. First thing I want you to note about Jonathan and David's friendship is that they gave freely to each other. Like all good friends, they freely shared whatever they had with each other. 1 Samuel 18 says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David 
because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So Jonathan here is unselfishly giving his princely armor and military garb to David. And later when it became clear that David was to become the next king, Jonathan even agreed that he would serve under David's rule, if that's how it worked out. Jonathan was not worried about his own place, his own position, his own privileges, and he gave everything he had to David freely because he loved him as he loved himself. Uh, this is an amazing friendship they gave freely to each other. The second thing to notice is that they were loyal to each other and they defended one another. David was totally loyal to King Saul, to Jonathan, his son, and their family. He did whatever Saul asked, and he defended Israel in battle after battle. We know that he was a great warrior, and he moved, moved up through the ranks very quickly and became the leader uh, in Saul's army. And Jonathan also defended David. When his father, King Saul, grew envious of David and threatened David's life. In 1 Samuel 19, we read, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. And so they created this behind-the-scenes way of protecting David from Jonathan's father. Jonathan continually looked out for David's safety and became the shield between his jealous, enraged father and his best friend. What a crucial role Jonathan filled in God's plan to make David the next king. And in a similar way, David was loyal to Jonathan and his family. When Saul was trying to hunt David down, this went on for several years, David demonstrated great loyalty even in that, and he refused to be the one through whom God would take Saul's life. On two occasions, he was right there. He could have killed Saul easily. Nobody would have been able to stop it, but he refused to do it. And I'm sure he was also not anxious to be the one who killed his best friend's father. Jonathan and David were loyal to each other, and they defended one another. That's what good friends do. Thirdly, it's obvious in David and Jonathan's friendship that they loved each other, and they sacrificed for each other. Each of them regarded their own lives as expendable for the sake of their friendship. David stayed close to the palace even when Saul kept trying to take his life several times as he's playing music in order to soothe Saul's tormented soul. Saul, you know, got enraged, picked up a spear and tried to, you know, kill David right there at the palace. But he's kept hanging around, doing what he could because of his love for the nation and love for Jonathan and his family, his willingness to sacrifice himself for that. As King Saul grew more and more violent towards David, Jonathan pulled David aside to reaffirm his love for his friend. And so you go to 1 Samuel 20 and you read this. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, I will, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan be, it ever, but Jonathan be ever so severely if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. 
May the Lord be with you, Jonathan said, as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness for my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Up to the very end, Jonathan and David put their lives on the line for one another. Eventually, Jonathan died in battle with his father, paving the way for David to finally become king of Israel. Love and sacrifice often go hand in hand in great friendships like theirs. In times of war, we hear many true stories about sacrificial friendship, don't we? One such story I heard tells of two friends in World War I who were inseparable. They had enlisted together, they trained together, they were shipped overseas together, and they found themselves fighting side by side in the trenches together. During one terrible enemy attack, one of the two friends was critically wounded in a field filled with barbed wire obstacles. He was unable to crawl back to his foxhole. The entire area was under withering enemy across fire, and it was suicidal to try and reach him, and yet his friend decided to try. Before he could get out of his own trench, however, his sergeant yanked him back inside and ordered him not to go. It's too late, he said. You can't do him any good, and you'll only get yourself killed. But two minutes later, the officer turned his back, and instantly the man went out to rescue his friend. A few minutes later, he staggered back, mortally wounded, with his friend now dead in his arms. The sergeant was both angry and deeply moved. What a waste, he blurted out. He's dead and you're dying. It just wasn't worth it. With almost his last breath, the dying man replied, Oh, yes, it was, Sarge. When I got to him, the only thing he said was, I knew you'd come, Jim. One of the true marks of a great friend is that he is there when there is every reason for him not to be. When to be there is sacrificially costly. Remember what Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now let me turn to a second Bible story on friendship, this one in the New Testament. In Luke 5, 18, we read that Jesus suddenly came face to face with a man who was completely paralyzed and bedridden. Perhaps you remember hearing this story back in Sunday school when you were a child or maybe some other time you heard somebody talk about it. This story from the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Jesus was teaching inside someone's house when suddenly the roof above their head started coming apart piece by piece. Do you remember this? It's in Luke chapter 5. Starting with verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and then lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow 
who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your, your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This man's paralysis deprived his body of all motion, all sensation, left him virtually helpless. Doctors had not been able to help him at all. His situation was hopeless. He was living a life of lonely desperation, we might say. His friends saw him lying there day after day, withering away in his paralysis. Perhaps he had not always been paralyzed. But his paralysis came as a result of some terrible, tragic accident. They saw the anguish written on his face. They were fully aware of his desperate need, but were frustrated by the fact that they were not able to help their friend. But when Jesus came to town, their hope was restored. The man who could do nothing to help himself, uh, but he had friends, thankfully, who had some good friends who made sure he was taken to Jesus that day. These friends did whatever they had to do in order to get him in front of Jesus. And then they said, the rest is up to you. <laughs> the rest is up to you, Lord. Whatever this man needed first was a good friend who might see his desperate plight and come to his aid. What he needed ultimately, of course, was Jesus. His friends were not the cure, but they knew the cure. So they took him to Jesus. They cared enough to overcome every obstacle in order to get their friend to Jesus. Now let me ask you this morning, are there people you already know who still need Jesus? If so, are you willing to be a friend to them? A friend who will love them just as they are and then try to get them to Jesus? Have you noticed the lonely, despairing people around you in this pandemic? Have you reached out to some other people with God's love and grace? Who might you already have in your life that needs a friend? Perhaps God has placed you in their life so that your friendship with them can introduce them to Jesus. I notice this happening. I see it happening. I know the opportunities I have and people I know well have. Are we seeing people and are we becoming their friend? Have you tried to help shoulder the load someone is carrying? Have you tried to give them some of the joy and the hope and the peace that we have found in Jesus? Are you looking for ways to get them face to face with Jesus in spite of the obstacles that may stand in our way? One day, one of the young children of a small farming community had gone missing. He had been playing in the backyard just minutes before, but suddenly he seemed to have gotten lost in the woods behind the house. So the alarm was sounded. The whole community came out to help find this little boy. Merchants closed their shop. Plows were left in the field. 
washing in the tub. Everyone turned out to hunt for this little fellow. There was a feverish haste about it because night was coming and harm might befall the little boy. But after hours of search, he was found. And oh, the joy that was felt because of his rescue. Today, that boy has grown. He is lost again, but no one seems to care. Mom and dad are busy with other things. The church doesn't seem to notice he's missing. No alarm has been sent out, and yet a far worse fate awaits him now than it did before. You see, he is lost in sin. Do we really care? Enough to do something. Enough to be his friend. Many people today are hurting, lonely, hopeless. Many are struggling just to survive, let alone thrive. If someone could just be their friend, they could make a huge difference in their lives. Especially if that friend knows Jesus. Be a friend. Be a friend. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the stories you have left us to inspire us, to inform us, to equip us so that we could be these kinds of friends. God, I thank you for the opportunity you give us even in a pandemic, to befriend other people that are lonely and hurt and discouraged and downtrodden. We just pray, Lord, that we would have eyes and hearts that are open to the people around us, that we would have that willingness that comes from you to offer your grace and your love to them, to meet them right where they are with no judgment, no criticism, no condemnation, but just a willingness to be their friend, to be there for them, to help them, to give them hope and joy and peace, which you first gave us. Help us, Lord, to be a friend, a good friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand?